rolling. Extra, extra. This just in. Welcome, Welcome to Uncover Girl. Girl, the podcast that unpacks the most memorable celebrity profiles of all time. We're your hosts, Ivana Ryder and Beatrice Hazelhurst, ready to unravel and review every culture-defining A-list interview with the help of writers, industry experts, and even the talent themselves. Journalism might be dying, but you better believe the celebrity profile lives on. Strip down, ladies. We're headed to Drake's Grotto. The Canada Dry is a pipe and hot. He is dropped by not one, but two PR firms. All while feuding with Chris Brown over Rihanna. Maybe you've already read it. But you heard it here first. Hi. Love of my life. My shorty, my wife. (laughs) We return again. Oh my God. What a gift. What a gift to be here. To be sitting here with you on a beautiful day. On a beautiful rainy day. Stormy day. (laughs) I mean, life doesn't get any better than this. No, it's cozy. It's sweet. It just, it works. How are you? What's been going on? I'm good. I'm, I'm busy, but, and I've been hosting and you're, you've also been hosting though. I feel like you and I are perpetually hosting people. Oh, no matter what, we just have someone staying in our home. And I put like an enormous amount of pressure on myself for the home to be perfect oh, at all times. You know me. Mm-hmm. Can't have a dish in the sink. No, sir. It's so dumb. It's such a dumb standard to hold myself to because nobody really cares. Have you ever walked into someone's home who's hosting you and been like, oh, I noticed that there was a couple utensils in the sink. <laughs> and I'm super upset by that. what's been inspiring you okay i have i have it i have it you have it this week i have it this week ivana always comes in and says i have it and then i i lost it i lost it you lost the inspiration i really need a little i little i need a little tiny notebook and actually i bought a little tiny notebook to record my little thoughts my little joan didion tiny composition book so that's what's inspiring me it's that i will never show up here another week without my thoughts because here's the thing that happened and here's why I got the tiny notebook. I was sleeping the other night and I woke up with an idea that comes to you, you know, once in a blue moon. Mm. Brilliant idea. Probably could have been a three novel series. Brilliant. Lost it because I didn't write it down. You and lost a full trilogy. I lost a full trilogy. A I lost my, book deal. my Twilight. I lost it. I lost it, no. which famously Twilight did come from a dream. She like woke up because she had a dream. No. Yeah. But from like fan fiction. Right. Of right. 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 Of gray. Yeah. So she was yeah. dreaming about fucking Christian Grey. <laughs> and then in the dead of the night thought, but what if they were what? vampires? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I had a very similar thought. It didn't have to do with vampires. I believe that there was some sci-fi element to it. But I woke up and I said, this is so incredible. I I obviously, of course, will have to remember it. But I was so tired. I could not, like, get to my phone. Then I woke up and I had lost it completely. And I was like, absolutely never again. And so I went to the 7-Eleven and I bought a tiny composition book. And I have it next to my bed now. And that is where I will be writing what's inspiring me this week. You're also very analog. Like, you always write with your hands, right? Yeah. Like, no, I always I, type. I type no. everything. Oh, my God. No, I... I don't, I wouldn't even be able to read what I've typed. I, no I need way. to write my to-do list. I need to write, I write in like your shopping list. Yeah. I write my shopping list. No, I write everything hand by hand. Otherwise my brain doesn't process it. Or I just like, no, I need it by hand. My, <laughs> my workout routine is written by hand. What? Yeah. In a notebook? In a notebook. So then you carry around the book. I will carry around the book or I'll just take a picture of the page and then I'll look at the page on my phone. We did do Thanksgiving together and I saw you, you truly wrote down every single dish's arrival time. I And you know what? That was only because it would have been such an ordeal for me to get my full size notebook out and like <laughs> locate a pen and sit there like Jane Austen style, like being 225 like, yeah. green beans. Yeah. <laughs> exactly so my little notebook is what's inspiring me i have now three sizes my big my medium and my little and my little won't leave my side wow i know i I mean i'm really impressed by that i think that's a very chic and romantic i wish it could be me but it absolutely couldn't i yeah i need the the quick access of it being in my palm at all times no yours makes so much sense it's like oh what did i need to do well it's in my notebook 
which is at home. So I now I'm lost. Okay, what's inspiring you? Not so recently, maybe six months ago, a friend of mine who's doing his PhD did like a full psych evaluation on me, which is a five hour process. We kind of condensed it into three. I really thought when I agreed to this that it was going to be, I think, a very emotion based. I've never done therapy, which is a big red flag uh, for me, (laughs) anyone who's meeting me. So I really thought it was going to just be like a, you know, how do you respond in this situation? Um, How does your brain work? Yeah, on an emotional level. By God, was it not that? It was, I mean, there was an ink block test, but then there was also general knowledge, uh, arithmetic, it was so, I was vaguely hungover and it was so difficult. And there were probably two times that my boyfriend entered the room while we were doing this test. And in both times I said, literally the dumbest answer to like a general knowledge science question. You know, they were like, what's the largest organ in the body? And I said, the brain. <laughs> that is the case with you. Oh. That is the case with you. I'm famously... You're speaking from experience. I'm, I'm famously skinless. Skinless. But I do have a brain. So yeah, the, the largest organ is the skin, which like my, my boyfriend just couldn't believe I got that wrong. And it is a classic one uh, that everyone <laughs> knows. But this is all to say I just got the results back, which was very interesting. They told me my IQ. I will not be sharing that with you. But it's very impressive. No, it's no, I was going to say the opposite. (laughs) I immediately looked up Elon Musk's IQ because I'm a fucking psycho. And I just needed to know where I stand next to Elon. I was well, well below. (laughs) Well, I just feel like we cannot compare ourselves to that freak. I took small comforts in the fact that we may have different types of intelligence that may not be measured by this test. Social skills being one of them, general judgment being another. And it was really interesting because I was given this kind of test that had 500 different questions that you had to answer instinctively yes or no to. Things like, my mother is a good woman, yes or no. I believe drugs are harmful to society, yes or no. It was really interesting because it showed your results in a kind of a graph situation and where you sit in terms of, I guess, normalcy. Um, And it was just really crazy because this guy, Blake, who did the test on me, showed me my results and then Jeffrey Dahmer's, who was just way off the chart. I was pretty central in terms of, I guess, what what is normal and not sociopathic or <laughs> psychopathic. And just to see a serial killer's results next to mine was just nuts. I mean, it was really, really eye-opening. I've never done anything like that. And it's just, it's just crazy. It, I mean, it was very inspiring in the medical sense. Oh, yeah. I feel like also how fascinating to have that knowledge about yourself now. I wish I didn't know my IQ. That's a tough one. That's like so numerical. That's, yes. That goes beyond being selected to be in an honors class or something and I think my deep-seated fear which is it's probably true so it's just a full projection is just painful mediocrity like I'm just like probably very very average and it just can like it confirms all that for you like it really is just like you are right in the muck of it right in the middle (laughs) right in the dead of the center (laughs) not above not below (laughs) but I mean, let's let's dive into a man who is anything but average. Oh yeah, <laughs> mediocrity. Not here. Not never heard of her. Not here. Aubrey Drake Graham. Are you ready to go on this ride? Yes, absolutely. And he's he's from Toronto, like me. Oh my gosh. I know a hometown hero. I forgot to make that connection. The six. <laughs> They've also. I mean, we were going to get into this down the line, but they compare. Drake, The Weeknd, and Justin Bieber's takeover. Justin Bieber is kind of like the afterthought, but to Beatlemania and London's infiltration of the American pop charts. Just the way that Drake, The Weeknd, Division. I have chills. Yeah. Toronto's invasion. Yes, Toronto. Like you cannot deny, love him, hate him, whatever you feel about Drake, you cannot deny what he did for that city. And the city loves him. The city loves the boy. I know. We have some impressive people. Alanis Morissette, famously from Canada. Ryan Reynolds. Of course. Also from Canada. Yes. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Both of the Ryans. I think both of the Ryans. No, that does does track. 
Well, yeah, we're fact checking now. Please hold. Canadian actor. Canadian. There you go. Both of the Ryans. You're just swinging them out the other bit. Sean Mendes. Oh my God. I, I love that butter noodle boy. <laughs> I love him. I absolutely love him. I don't know what it is. There is no one on the planet to whom I would lay at his feet I and know. simply say, serenade me. <laughs> my sweetie. Yeah. I am just grateful to be existing at the same time as Sean Mendes. Me Breathing too. the air on the same planet. I know. His megawatt smile. <laughs> but this, we're going back in time a little. This was actually 10 years ago. Drake is currently 36. At this time, he was 26. Off the back of two big big albums thank me later and take care which was actually his the second best-selling album of his career and he's now in the press to it and the lead up to nothing was the same which was actually the time when he was really stepping out and flexing i think this was the first time he was kind of hard rapping before that it was like melodic rap singing but it was also a very interesting time in pop culture in hindsight Almost like a beautifully simple era. I mean, Obama was inaugurated for a second term. I think Drake actually volunteered his services to play Obama in a movie in 2010. And then in 2020, Obama was like, yeah, sounds, yeah. Okay. Yes. Wait, this movie doesn't exist. No, no, no. No, Drake was just like, I (laughs) I would do it. I I would love. Yeah. And Obama a decade later said, I'm okay with that. The US Supreme Court struck down the Federal Defensive Marriage Act and subsequently California became the 13th state that permitted same-sex marriage this year. Love it. So huge. Uh, Twerk and selfie were added to the dictionary. Stop. Yes. This can also be largely credited to Miley Cyrus, who kind of took twerking mainstream Miley <laughs> at the MTV Video Music Awards. Oh my god! Wait, I feel like I remember this performance. Yeah, it was with Robin Thicke. It was widely. So criticized. was this also when Emrata's career was launched? Yes, Blurred Lines. Came Blurred out Lines, this year. of course. Yes, wow, huge for Emrata. People's sexiest man alive. I, I wonder no. if you can guess. Oh my God. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Let me really think Front about Front men of a band. Maroon 5, Adam Levine. How, how the fuck did you know that? No, I, I just, I knew. I knew. That That's was something I knew crazy. in my crazy. Wow. I feel actually, and I, I don't want to sound full of myself here. <laughs> I feel even if you hadn't said frontman, I would have said Adam Levine. There's no way. I, the way that People Magazine eats that man up. Yes. And he's very 2013. He's so 2013. Yeah. He was like the picture of hot front man, soon to be a family man. Mm. It's like just wants to wife someone down. Yes. I feel like that was very his vibe. Kim and Kanye also got engaged this year. Oh, I know. 10 years. All of that has gone down in 10 years. Like four kids, a divorce, Pete Davidson. Oh my God. Nuts. So we arrive at Drake's casa in the valley with michael pedaniti so this is an incredible writer just off the bat i mean he's done so many major male celebrities for gq like jimmy kimmel brad pitt right after his divorce angelina lin-manuel miranda um he was also a national magazine award winner by this point he had written a, a very famous book called driving mr albert a trip across america with einstein's brain so he drove with Albert Einstein's literal brain and uh, the pathologist who performed Albert Einstein's autopsy, which is crazy. We're just oh talking my God. about psych- the brain. psychology in the yeah. brain. Largest um, organ in the body, <laughs> famously. <laughs> Everyone knows. Everyone knows. And this profile is a big one. It's 4,000 words. It took me a while to kind of wade through. It's dense also dense. In, a, in a lovely way, but there's just yes. like actually a lot of prose here. A lot of pros, and we talk about this all the time, a lot of quotes, yeah. but a lot of very, very juicy quotes where you're so spoiled for choice at the information you're being given that you you kind of stop taking it in at some point. Like this is, this was a great interview or series of interviews. So Drake, Kanye and Jay-Z have albums all coming out this summer. So it was a, it was a real kind of temperature check on the state of rap. And Drake at the time, I think, still felt like weirdly counterculture because he was perceived as the soft boy of hip hop. And it was so rare that a rapper was just openly vulnerable and, you know, talking about falling in love with women and his parents' divorce. He didn't really have the respect of a lot of artists and liking him 
almost felt like like it, he was a guilty pleasure I think for a lot of people but this year and on this album started from the bottom came out which became possibly his first viral viral club hit and now has half a billion views on YouTube so he's on the precipice of absolute stardom. The, t- the profile is in GQ and it's called How Did Drake It in America? When he was just 23, the rapper Drake set a goal for himself. He'd make 25 million by the time he was 25 years old, rapping about money, cars, girls, and here's the bizarre part, his rawest feelings and emotions. He achieved it easily. Now 26 and readying for his most inspired album yet, the Canadian sensation has set a new goal for himself. The approach is the same, but the end game is exponentially more ambitious. Whew. Great little opening. Great really opening. Really sets the scene. Oh my God. It's funny. I My initial takeaway reading this was that Drake was vastly more mature here at 26 than he is now at 36. Honestly, I... I feel like fame does that to people where when they're a couple years in they're still normal and their feet are on the ground in some way Mm. but then if you talk if you talk to someone or hear from someone that's been famous for 30 years something's up yeah something's weird almost uh reverting back to childlike there's a thing i don't know if you've heard it i can't remember who said it but uh, I think it was an actress said, you are frozen in time, both in the eyes of the public and your own perspective at the time you become famous. Mm. And that's why a lot of child stars are so off the rails well into their 20s, 30s, because they literally never developed past the point that they became known. How yeah. could you? How really could you? You're At the point that you're known internationally, every, your every move is being recorded. I feel like you would freak out. Yeah. So we're here at Drake's house in the Valley of Los Angeles. It's famous for its grotto and waterfall. And Rockside. (laughs) Yeah. And I just love the idea of Michael, who's kind of like a bald white man, just being in the mix of all this. It's three in the afternoon and there are bikinied women everywhere, strutting up and down. He describes it as either a museum or a music video. They're firing their iPhone cameras while others take dramatic slow motion strolls by the pool as if this will all soon be theirs. I love that line. Oh, I love that line. It's so fun. It really, really gets me going. And I think this is a truly glorious summation of the access that many women feel to Drake as if at any moment he might either from the crowd or a crowded party or bar pluck them out of obscurity and gift them his collection of Birkins that he's saving for his number one true love. Stop. Oh yeah, you didn't know? No, I did not yeah, know. He owns like 30, I think, including the rarest Birkin in the world, which is worth $400,000. Why is it worth so much? Why is it so rare? What is it made out of? It's the Hermes Himalaya Birkin. It's made out of the tears of <laughs> young children in, in rural France. Oh my God. Lizard skin. Lizard skin. Oh, one in the same. Wow. That's, um, that's hog wild. I really need to sit with that for a second to have the collection ready to go. Yes. This is kind of the root of Drake's appeal at the time. Michael claims, like, I mean, he says to search out that emotional connection, even in a crowd of 18,000, that's his power and his Achilles heel, his willingness to show emotion, to write autobiographical lyrics, and on occasion, between the rapid tropes of bravado and materialism to demonstrate a flash of moral conscience in a game of misogynistic excess. It's such good writing. Mm -hmm. God, he really gets to the root of of hip hop as a genre and and Drake as an artist so profoundly. And then he describes Drake's house, which I absolutely love to see. Yeah. Indoor, outdoor, flat screens everywhere, shining like mirrors, he says. Uh, there's stables, a mechanical bull, of course, a movie theater, an air-conditioned doghouse, a wine cellar. Uh, and then when you go through the gate, a woman's voice says, Access granted. His boys apparently call it Disneyland because he always had 12 guys with him at all times, whether he's in Toronto or LA. At this moment in time, they're all flirting with these girls when Drake turns to Michael the writer and says, this ain't every day. I really don't live some crazy rapper life. (laughs) 
Seems like he does. Seems like he does. I can't help but wonder why would you invite a a writer over when you're having this kind of party? Like everything with Drake is extremely calculated and strategic. Like the man is a pop star and it strikes me as so specific that he would yeah, have these naked women flocking and then he would be brooding in the corner like I am yeah, better than it all. I'm I know. 26. I've seen it. I've lived it. It is an incredible flex to be surrounded by literal topless women and be disinterested. Like, but it's such a projected image. He's so gangster and he's so used to this that he could literally care less. Like this lifestyle does nothing for him. And I love that kind of Michael sees right through it. He goes, I kind of believe him. <laughs> and it's it's beautiful because it's it's true. It's like, what can you believe of that? He says, beneath the banter and joviality, beneath Drake's thousand watt smile, one almost immediately senses a moodier seriousness. Wait, can I just jump in really quickly to talk about the photo spread that accompanies this profile? <laughs> yeah, f- for some reason, I've let this completely fall by the wayside because it is the most insane like heinous styling art direction creative direction okay it it is so funny and he is like glistening in all of these photos but the cover itself he's in a sort of sateen gray (laughs) button down and a pair of white skinny jeans not sateen and it looks like the cover of forbes it looks it's giving financial times no but his his shirt is open like a marvin gay type like it's unbuttoned but it's one of those like cargo safari shirts, but yeah. in a sateen silver mm-hmm. with a white tight skinny jean. Yeah. Yes. And then a black belt and then a chain. And a watch or and, a bracelet. And he's like smiling, smiling. Yeah. Like grinning. 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 Yeah. So it is really shocking actually because this does not feel very Drake. And the rest of the photos are arguably more drake in vibe i just super quick note i feel like i could have pulled every single cultural context clue of 2013 from From the cover cover. it literally has like the audacity of bro meet the brother obama can't hide drake started from the bottom now he's here like i really could have how to have a killer summer party which is where the profile opens why did i even bother with the research (laughs) it was all on this july cover of gq in 2013 i know a cover can teach you a lot about a culture truly a cover and a culture (laughs) but the rest of these photos when i say braided belt yeah what is that culture for you yeah the braided belt leather cuff bracelet (laughs) (laughs) and lots of like shadow work but not in the way that you'd want where it's like that super cool editorial thing where it's like film noir this is sort of like film no (laughs) (laughs) cheap a cheap joke let's just put a branch over his face yeah really what it does really it's like what if we just held our hand over the sun and then took a photo of him in in a house it's very like wooded house junior year art projects like getting my friend to model for me type of vibe yes and then look up at me and then i'm just gonna position this chiaroscuro light yeah and then you get like a a, like a b minus like it is yeah and your teacher is like these photos are too dark it was it doesn't seem intentional here (laughs) he's also so airbrushed like his skin is like like it's like a a turkey fresh out of the (laughs) the oven yeah it's just shiny and slick I know. It's a lot. Yeah. Cropped bomber jacket, ribbed. Yeah. Lots of like button down shirt, but not in the kind of cool flowy way where it's supposed to communicate like I'm a man who is free and. This would make for like great ASMR. Uh, Tight. (laughs) V-neck. Cashmere sweater. Denim collar. Up to the chin. (laughs) (laughs) The photos really paint a picture. It's funny because Drake at the time was very, very good with press. And I've heard that from a lot of fellow journalists that he is shaking your hand. He's giving, as Michael says, the a thousand watt smile. He is, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful. It's such an honor. It's such a privilege to be here. In a way that a lot of talent don't do these days. And then famously, I mean, I've heard this from the horse's mouth, but it was also, it made page six at the time and all the gossip rags. (laughs) 
the publicist friend of mine that actually booked him this GQ cover was in an elevator with him, apparently, I think, post-interview. And he kind of flew off the handle uh, for some unknown reason. And then the original Page Six article says that he allegedly pushed her out of the elevator. That article has since been deleted. I can't find it again and I won't ask her directly, but more recent reports say that he ordered her out of the elevator. His publicist group at the time subsequently dumped him as a client. And can you imagine dumping Drake post yeah, at the peak care, at the literal peak? So, I mean, that's where we're at press-wise. That was quite literally in the weeks, I think, leading up to this cover's publication. Yeah, that tells you a lot. But I mean, Drake was also getting a lot of heat at the time. I think he was feeling the pressure more than any other. I mean, he was called a counterfeit rapper by Ludacris. And Michael just lays this all out, which I love. Every diss that Drake has ever received as an artist is relegated to this one paragraph, which must be brutal to read if Drake ever read this. So he says that DMX called him a fucking piece of shit. Lil' Kim called him a straight pussy. That one's brutal. (laughs) Chris Brown told him to come out of the closet. Common said, like, you ain't wet, you Canada dry. And I think this is worth calling out because this, this profile feels really bizarrely relevant. And one of the few things that actually dates it is the use of the N-word, unasterisked, attributed to various people who've spoken about Drake, Drake's lyrics. And it was so shocking to read that I actually searched my own work and wanted to see how recently I was writing it in articles without censoring because like a like a rapper had said it in conversation and I had, you know, quoted him or it was a Q&A. Or like a lyric. Or like a lyric or like a name of a title of a track, whatever. And it was up until 2016, like it was in my work. I mean, not frequently, but yeah, it was, it was unasterisked. It's interesting to read. It's one of the few things that I think dates this profile. Otherwise it truly could have come out yesterday, I think. But then there's one other tell as to the era that this was published. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Sometimes he'll pull out his Blackberry and start (gasps) thumb typing, not a text, but some new lyric he's heard in his head. He collects the fragments by day and stitches them together at night. His tiny notebook. <laughs> His little tiny notebook. That's what we need. We need a Blackberry. Like that I would chic. actually kill for a Blackberry. I had a Blackberry until 2013. Stop. That's when it died. I envy you. It was beloved in my life. I oh. loved my Blackberry. Oh my God. It was so easy to type. Yeah. My dad had one and I, I would often have to dial in for him in the mornings at meetings when he was driving me to school and I'd be like dialing in on his Blackberry and like, you feel so the little ball. The ball. Lana had one bedazzled. That's where she took all her like Lizzie Grant photos. Kim was such a fan that when her, it died in 2016, she was literally at Blackberry. How do I get a new one? And then I think this year... Or maybe last year, they finally discontinued them. Like, they're literally no more. So now. we can't have one. We we cannot have one. I mean, I'm sure they go on eBay for $2,000. End of an era. I'm devastated to hear that. Interestingly, also this year, The Great Gatsby came out. The Leo DiCaprio version. Really? And it just debuted before oh my. this cover hit. And the Gatsby references throughout there are, this... Pro- there are so many. There are so many. And we're, we're arriving at one now, so... Outside, the pool party is thumping as the sky darkens. Future and Kendrick Lamar are on the radio. Drake hangs around the edge of his own party, but eventually moves through the crowd like Gatsby, saying hellos, chilling, laughing like anyone his age. Oh, I love a positioning of Drake like Gatsby here. Like Mm -hmm. the, the within and the without of it all. I mean, it's so zeitgeisty at this point in time, but I love the idea of him just being this enigmatic figure that is the architect of all this chaos and hedonism but is so removed from it because he's above it and no one can touch drake but drake can touch everyone yeah i i thought it was really interesting to position him as a non-participant and there's a quote like just to touch above this that i don't know why i was really struck by mostly because it's um partially hilarious and i always giggle when men talk like this where he says you know the way that fighters don't fuck before the fight (laughs) sometimes i feel like i'm so focused on training my body and getting my mind right to create this album that sex isn't one of my main priorities if someone is around that i know and trust i'm down but i'm not going to end up with some stranger at this party 
when you talked about the women kind of slowly walking by the pool as if this is all going to be theirs one day and how maybe Drake will pluck them from obscurity, he is saying outright that he will not be plucking them from obscurity. No. He is not going to fuck a stranger at his own party. And this is interesting because this comes up again down the line as to just how deliberate he is with his climb and he does not want to be bogged down by any women. And then eventually, obviously that's kind of what happens. You know, he has, he has his son. That's such a wank on quote. Oh like, my oh, God. I don't fuck before. I don't, yeah, I don't fuck before. A fight. <laughs> oh my God. It like lives in the same area as like when I hear about blue balls and like, I don't know, there's like, there's this whole like hyper masculinity that I'm just like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, do you not understand how silly you sound? Yes. Just live your life. Live your life. Just walk around and be fine. So then Michael gets into the realities of what it's like to be a star at Drake's level. So apparently he was robbed four years prior while on a date. And because of the way he moves in hip hop and the industry in general, there's constantly threats and counter threats thrown out by every witch artist. At the moment he's beefing with uh, Chris Brown pretty famously, but I love this because Michael interviews the bodyguard and whoever interviews the bodyguard like it's genius oh no one ever talks to the manager the publicist the bodyguard like the actual inner sanctum of the team so often goes overlooked and they're the ones i want to hear from i mean they might not give you the most salacious details but you're getting a kind of a purer look Mm -hmm. at the star than anyone else can provide and this is i think this is like an ongoing gripe for us right we're always like why are these randoms being quoted here? Yeah. Acquaintances, it seems like, or a director they worked with seven years prior yes. on one movie that came out to critical... Paul Rudd yeah. with Selena Gomez. It was like, we get it, it's Paul Rudd, but Paul Rudd? It's just random. It's random. So at the moment, he is leaving the pool party. We're piling into Drake's white Bentley and Drake's security guard, Spoon, says... Imagine you and I are in the club and we meet some ladies. I spend a thousand dollars on a bottle of Ace of Spades champagne and then you buy the next one. We're 2000 into it. And it's like, hey, ladies, would you all like to go back to the SLS and take it from there? And then what was the SLS? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Either. I don't know. Okay, that's fine. And then Drake walks in. These girls are like over the rope, all over him, man. And here we are sitting there with our dicks hard. Drake didn't do nothing. He just walked in. But now you and I have beef with him and he just wants a drink. And we're not the only ones. There are a dozen, two dozen like us. And that's every night when we go to the club. You have no idea where this is going to come from. And I'm like, that's so true. Like a punchable face Mm -hmm. like he has coupled with the fact that every woman on the planet wants a piece. Do you want a piece? No, me neither. No, no, I don't want a piece, but I think it's not about wanting a piece or not. It's him wanting a piece of you. Right. It's that Gatsby idea. Mm -hmm. It's to be desired by Drake. Who's made a career out of desiring Mm -hmm. is the ultimate compliment. Yes. It's validation over anything. I think it's why people still obsess over his obsession with Rihanna. A, a thousand percent because like Rihanna was out of his league. Oh yeah. And the fact that he got her for even a, a hot minute, I mean, speaks a lot about him. It's a testament to him. It's interesting. That's very relevant at this point because they arrive at the restaurant, the bodyguard, Drake and Michael, the waitress is super icy Drake orders like a strawberry margarita and she's like, okay. And he realizes it's because he dated her cousin. And so he's like dated every woman in the Hollywood area at this point, uh, maybe the larger Los Angeles County. And speaking of Rihanna, Michael can't help but bring up Chris Brown. And remember, this is like two years after Drake and Rihanna released What's My Name. Mm-hmm. Smash hit, very sexy moment for the two of them. And Chris Brown and Rihanna are back together at this point. This is... After the assault. Yeah. So what? Like 2009 was the assault, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So four years, four years after the assault and they've got back together, reconciled. And Drake says, I hear he has everything he could want now. 
alluding to the fact that Brown and Rihanna were for the moment back together. I don't want my name to be synonymous with that guy's name. I really don't. I wish we could sit down just like you and me are right now and talk it out man to man, but that's not going to happen. And he says it's embarrassing, the amount of media coverage. Two rappers fighting over a woman. And I guess they did physically fight because that note that one of them sent to the other, I don't know if you... I. I'm like still trying to figure out who sent it to who. Were you able to deduce? Did Drake send that to Chris Brown? Drake sent it to Chris Brown. So, okay, Ivana is referring to... Yeah, earlier. Yeah. Earlier, I think in the year, Chris Brown and Drake had been at the same New York club at the same time. And they were sending bottles back and forth, almost like goading each other. Like it wasn't a sign of fucking affection. <laughs> no. And um, Drake sent the note to Chris Brown saying, I'm the fucking love of your life. No, I'm fucking the love of your life. Oh, I'm fu- I'm what? I'm fucking the love of your life. Well, the dyslexia jumped out. <laughs> I thought that that was the most hilarious. That was the the best diss I could imagine. Like, I'm the fucking love of your life, and you know, I'm fucking you, the love of your life. Can you imagine? You get a note. Me and you, yeah, are at I don't even know Laurel Hardware. A note comes to the table. Oh, I'm wait, fucking just... the love of your life. That's. Okay, I would throw hands. No, I I think anybody would. And then, yeah, apparently it was, like, horrible. Like, bottles. Bottles like, smashed, people's eyes scratched. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Brown's security guard had, like, a forehead, like, ulceration. Gash. Yeah. I'm fucking wow. the love of your life. I mean, it's so short and sweet and to the point. And oh, it's absolutely brutal. I mean, that's what Drake does best. He cuts to the A quick. writer. A writer. And then, of course, within the next 10 years, they would record No Guidance, which literally got them, like, a Grammy nomination. It peaked at number six on the Hot 100. And, like, the video is entirely based on their beef, which is, like, a a funny nod to their history together as two artists and then to create, to birth this massive hit out of it. But And I know it came under some flack because people were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're obsessed with Rihanna and then you're making a music with her abuser. That's right. Yeah. And people were like, you suck ass and you're all for show. And he says here when Michael asks about it, if he thinks about it too much, like specifically Rihanna and the Chris Brown debacle, he goes, I feel it wrapping around my foot. Like I get a feeling it could end really badly. Michael says, I can't tell if he's worried for Rihanna's safety, whom he won't mention by name, or about the lengths to which he thinks Brown might go to perpetuate the feud. When I ask what he means exactly, he says, like, it gets really dark. Mm. I mean, yeah. And I mean, yeah. I would I, fucking spiral. So if, dark. Yeah. The woman that I had loved for many years got back together with her abusive ex. I mean, that would be heavy. And then what would it take for you to then make music with that ex? Oh, dude. I mean, the best part of this profile is honestly just like, Michael's got the tape recorder out and he's just letting it run. Like Drake is talking. And if you're a fan, like this is what you're coming from. Like these quotes are rich and succulent. And he even has a little name drop, a little Will Smith name drop. I was just about to say, yeah. he then goes straight to the name drop, which is incredible because- Artists, they never do celebrities it. never do it anymore. They never do it. I miss it so much. I love like, to see it. The other day when I was chatting to Brad Pitt, you know, Brad Pitt, like <laughs> that. So anyway, Drake says, I had lunch the other day with someone I, I extremely look up to. Okay. I had lunch with Will Smith. <laughs> 26, <laughs> the 26 in him, like really showing face here. He says, Will Smith told him that love is when you become one and you need that person. It's, and he says, it's not about wanting anymore. You need that person. I could not disagree with something more. Oh, 100%. I mean, this feels a little more like codependency than love. Absolutely. Of being completely dependent on someone and not wanting to be with them, but needing to be yes. with them. Not wanting to be with them. Yeah. But needing to be with them. I don't love it. I don't love it. It's the complete opposite. You should not need them. But you want, want them. them. You choose around. them. You choose them. You wake up. You choose them every single day. And yeah, I agree. Also, Will- I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like also for us as two girls who don't ever want to need anything or yes. anyone, like refuse help from all, this just really goes against. And also, I think it's so funny that Drake cops to saying, quote, I don't know if I've ever felt that way, meaning in love when all of his music is about love and desire and things 
this, I thought this quote was fascinating. This is the one that I pulled out where I was going to ask you, do you think he's, do you think he's admitting here that he's never been in love? It, he says, it made me think I don't know what love is. I think he thinks he's been in love and then this made him question everything. Understandably, I guess if someone had told me that this is what love was, I would say like, I don't think I've ever felt that yeah. way. <laughs> and I don't want to. No. But he kind of continues and says, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be back home in Toronto. I had my job that kept me in the city. My girl would be my life. I have a lot of friends back there and their relationships have been, become the focal point, the high point of their lives. And that's cool. I just have new goals, new places to go, new people to meet, live off of a different high point every single day. And this kind of portrait of domesticity reminds me just how much it would suck to be famous because like his friends sound like they've got it made. They have their job, they have their friends, they have their relationship, which has become a high point in their lives. I'm like, dude, that sounds lovely. And then to live off a different high point every day, mm-hmm. that sounds deeply unstable and very un-Buddhist of like desire, the root of all suffering, and then just only desiring more and more and bigger and better and, and that's, greater achievement. That's a really profound take because that is who Drake is at this point in time and possibly still who he is now. He wants more and more and more. It's excess and oh my god every time we i think that we're onto something and we're pulling out something completely new from this profile michael has already bet us to the punch and he's already (laughs) said it like i read my next part that says for a rapper as well known as drake there remains an essential element of mystery about him for one so open there's a distance and he prefers it that way but then there's something beneath the exterior that reveals itself with urgency in every conversation. Drake's raw ambition. And there it is. Michael has already, he's already got it. He's done it again. Wow. What a gorgeous way because it's like when you've seen a really great movie and you're like, whoa, how could we have gotten there? And then you find out that the director intentionally brought you here to a point where you're feeling either stress or inspiration or whatever it is. Yes. All the choices were made for a reason and you've been shepherded on this journey to get to this point. Oh, when you feel like you've been reading between the lines, but the words were on the page. Yes. And you just, you just didn't Our read it. huge brains <laughs> working absolutely overtime. <laughs> Completely diagnosing Drake. Yeah. Armchair therapizing Drake <laughs> when Michael has already done it for us. Me calling him un-Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> Michael postures, it's more about money. The driving force that is... Drake's ambition is kind of rooted in money and this desire for money rather than getting roses from his fellow artists or from the industry itself, which I think is, is true. Like he cares so much about money in a way that you often don't hear because it's kind of gauche, right? To be so I want to get rich with it all. But I mean, he's right. Like the, the song, the motto Drake raps, 25 sitting on 25 mil which by the way hot fact about that that was co-written by tyler james williams the guy from everybody hates chris and abbott elementary like the actor yeah so mix a lot (laughs) what i like big butts guy yeah no Mm -hmm. but he made the 25 mil by the time he was 25 and it's not enough he wants more and he specifically references a guy, Roman Abramovich, the Russian billionaire and owner of the Chelsea Football Club, whose yacht cost $550 million. And then he says, do you know that if I even had $250 million in the bank, I couldn't buy half of that, he says. And then Michael fact checks and goes, turns out the yacht was actually $1.5 billion. Wow. <laughs> I wonder what a $1.5 billion yacht looks like. I can't even fathom. Have you ever been on a yacht? Yes, I think so. You should you should be on one. <laughs> you should be on one right now, actually, instead of recording this podcast. I, I think I I don't really know the difference between a yacht and a big boat. See, me neither. I was hoping that you would. It felt to me that you would. No. But, I mean, he says, rappers aren't really the rich ones. We all have nice houses with studios and cars, but you need a piece of someone's business to be wealthy. So I went deep trying to find out what his net worth was in 2023. Mm-hmm. It is around two hundred and fifty million. Stop. So he <gasps> ten years on foretold has manifested. I mean, he said that he wanted to be at two fifty mil by the time he's twenty nine. He's there at thirty six with you know his Nike deal, 
the Grove has an OVO shop, his brand, his mm-hmm. label. But yeah, he's there. He's at 250 million. Okay, so confirmed manifestation is real, everyone. I know he should have aimed higher. Write the numbers down right now. He really did it. He We're did exactly it. 10 years. Yes. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, he didn't do it as fast as he wanted to. He yeah. wanted to go from 25 to 250 in three years, which seems like a bit of a, a bit of a reach. Yeah. But he says, I feel this great responsibility to see how far we can take it. How out of reach can I set that bar for whoever comes after? He has brought up a lot of the industry with him. I mean, a lot of young rappers can credit their success to Drake kind of cracking open that door, especially in terms of melodic flow. But Michael finally raises the inevitable, which is like a key critique of Drake. He operates in a space with the Lil Waynes, with the Jay-Zs, who were selling drugs, who were from abject poverty, who did hard time. And then he comes out with a song titled Started From The Bottom and throws gasoline on the fire truly because people say what is the bottom i mean you were on degrassi as a teenager making forty thousand dollars a year he grew up in a nice neighborhood lived in a nice neighborhood but he makes a real point of saying look i lived in a nice neighborhood with my single mom who didn't want me getting into trouble and we were at in the basement apartment of someone's house and all the money I made on Degrassi was put towards studio time. And I worked around the clock at that. And yeah. And the thing about started from the bottom is that everyone has their own bottom. And I think that's why it was so relatable and such a hit. I mean, even rich kids could be like started from the bottom as an intern. And now I am an executive, you know? That's so true. Even the Nepo babies get a piece. Yeah. Wait, what are they? They're the ones, the Golden Globe ambassadors. That's the started from the bottom for so many celebrity kids. Did you? No. Oh my God. So if you look to see how many currently like A-list or up and coming starlets started by being basically the people that like you will notice them the next time where there is like a young woman usually that takes the star off the stage and brings them backstage. Right. Those people, it was like Dakota Johnson. Yeah, the ushers. Mm. It's all of these huge stars started there doing that. I found out recently that Khloe Kardashian was Nicole Richie's assistant. Stop. So everyone has their bottom. Of course. But Drake says of the song, I think a lot of people wish their favorite rapper wrote it as if a song like that should be gangster. But I was the one who wrote it and everyone has their bottom. So he really does. Why? I thought I didn't. Did I read that or did I, was I just re-quoting the profile when I said everyone has their bottom? I really thought I was <laughs> Once again, being original. No, God damn it. You just reflected what is written here. I love where he talks about how he sleeps peacefully, like, and lightly, like, moves through the world without heaviness because he's not hiding anything. Mm. He's pretty open here. He talks about how his parents divorced and his dad was kind of in and out. Funnily enough... <laughs> I met his dad one time at a very popular little LA hotspot that you've also had some associations with. Yes. You know yes. the owners, right? Oh, yeah. I've, I've interviewed the owners um, of Delilah and they regard Drake as family at this point because it's his favorite spot in town and he's there all the time. And I guess his dad is also there. How was he? Yeah, I met his dad. I mean, I was admittedly wasted and was like, can I get a pic? Stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then he That's was like, also so not you. Oh, you're never so asking me for a pic. But I thought if I'm going to get a picture with anyone, Drake's dad is so incredibly niche. Like no, I absolutely fun. love it. Yeah. I know. I don't think I could ever ask a pic from anyone real. I've I never have, done it in my entire oh, life. Oh, I have a picture with Weird Al. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. a good one. And that was one where I was like, this will be good. Yeah. No, that's a really good one. He was like, we could step outside and do it because you no phones. No, right. No, no photos. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, don't worry. <laughs> Which, but, yeah, all good. a lot of work. Which I did talk to the owners about how they have that rule at all their location basically to protect celebrities. Yes, So that totally. they can come and yeah. it'll be a safe but zone. Drake describes his dad in this situation as slick, like charming, talented, stylish. And that is exactly the vibe. He was, I think he was in like a three-piece suit, like mm. a top hat and a cane. Like oh. he was a, he was a put together individual drake says but his actions served as that 
of a reverse role model for me. There are a lot of things that I don't ever want to do. I don't want to miss years of my child's life. I don't want to put a woman on a roller coaster ride, which as we know, did in fact come to fruition. And you've interviewed his. Yeah. This is a super personal anecdote, but um, when Drake was revealed to have a baby, Pusha T like exposed him, I was offered an interview with the mother of his child, Sophie Brousseau, who was like a painter, but formerly a video vixen. And that's how they met. She was in those kind of circles in uh, New York, LA, I think. And yeah, we did talk while she was in France and Adonis was just a baby. And I, I went and reread the article. So the article never went live. Mm -hmm. There were a bunch of things that plagued it. I think I eventually sold it to Vanity Fair, but the problem was she gave me so little. She was obviously like NDA'd on another level and there was really nothing she could say about anything but a part that I pulled out of it that I wrote <laughs> said, in an attempt to maintain her privacy and protect Adonis, now a toddler, Brousseau has never before spoken candidly about her personal life, although she acknowledges there was temptation while, quote, pregnant and emotional. For legal reasons, Brousseau cannot publicly discuss the genesis of her relationship with the rapper, Drake, nor comment on the pair's co-parenting of Adonis. Drake is famous for avoiding the media, avowing in 2014, I'm done doing interviews with magazines. Whether or not by his mandate, Bruzo now subscribes to Drake's approach. Mm. I want to just quickly, I'm taking us out of the profile for a hot second because on the same press tour where he allegedly pushed his former publicist out of the elevator, got dropped, hired a new publicist. He then got dropped again six months later. So this is all the same press cycle because he was replaced on the cover of Rolling Stone for this album in favor of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who died. Oh. And he was so angry about it that he tweeted, they took my cover from me last minute and ran the issue. I'm disgusted with that. Rip to Philip Seymour Hoffman or respect you, but the press is evil. I'm done doing interviews with magazines. I just want to give my music to the people. Oh my God. What a shitty reason to take a stand. Yeah. So he was then dropped by his next publicity agency six months later off the back of that because he literally said they took my cover away and gave it to a dead man. Dark. That is where we're at. So yeah, with, with Sophie, like you could tell that she, I mean, yeah, there was not much that could be said. Her, when was her identity revealed? 2019. Wow. Actually, sorry, 2018, because I remember I went on a press trip to Abu Dhabi and they called me at my hotel in Abu Dhabi. I spoke to Drake's publicist on the phone. Wow. And such a cute baby beautiful baby oh my god the oh curls. my beautiful blue eyes yeah. god that baby is a that's a it's kind of like a fake baby yeah like, that's a fake baby yeah that's a it's cabbage patch ca yeah i know yeah but it's interesting because drake he's always thinking commercially like you can tell that he is really on the edge of becoming like a bona fide pop act because even when he's writing and artists will never admit this to you when he's writing he's thinking about how the crowd is going to receive it how radio ready a song is he knows that the crowd wants a hook. They want to sing your music back to you. It's, I mean, Michael brings it up again. That's the kind of intimacy that Drake craves. Drake says, I want to leave you with the feeling that I was probably talking at you the whole time. If I pointed to you, you're probably right. I did point to you. I probably was talking about your friend, you know? And that's exactly what going to a show is like. I mean, I saw him on this tour. He oh, said, really? Yeah. I went, I paid good money for the arena tour. Oh my tour. God. How was it? I mean, he, it was incredible. And he was like, I see you over there with a the blue shirt on. I see you over there with like the silky bra on. Like it was really, it did feel intimate. He had created that experience. He's an arena act. Yeah. And he had this real commitment to authenticity, I think, that made him so likable it feels like he's gotten further and further away from that now. But back then, he was just willing to put it all on the table. So we've left the restaurant, we've left the pool party, and we're at the final stage of this profile, which is Michael in the studio with Drake and Noah Forty Shabib, who's Drake's longtime collaborator. 
This is one of the most <laughs> relatable pieces of writing that I've ever come across in a feature like this because, I mean, you've been to listening parties, you know what they're like. Mm-hmm. It's often very a very, very small group of people where they put the new unheard album on really, really loud and you just kind of have to like vibe out this music that you've never heard before in front of the artist it's so it's like when you're a kid and you make your parents watch your dance that you've choreographed yes yes. and everyone's like yes like let's go and that is truly what michael is describing in this moment he writes i've been dreading this moment the ritualistic playing of the new album for the magazine writer what if i don't like it i'm not gonna fake it but Drake and Forty are both looking at me now, curious. And this reminded me so much of you. I hold up my arm. Thankfully, my arm doesn't lie. Goosebumps. <laughs> that is you. Yeah, I know. Chills. I Oh, the chills. I am. I constantly have just full body chills and I'm always holding my arm up. Michael's both of us. Michael is us. He really is. And Drake breaks into a smile and says, ah, man, I didn't expect that. For you to hear the emotion in it is amazing for me. So after the release of this album, Drake would go on to write. He would just go so far in so many different directions. He wrote like a London grime inspired album. There was like a dance hall inspired album last year, a house inspired album. And Michael so succinctly sums this anticipation of what Drake will do next with the truth is I have no idea what to expect. The paradox of Drake is that he's so multiple. He might write a love song sung by an idol contestant or something so raunchy you can't play it for kids. He could be rhyming about the kingdom of his material world and then crooning about his spiritual state. He's a mama's boy who cut you up. Though this tough guy posturing seems occasionally half-hearted because, after all, he seems so kind of decent. And that is who Drake is. Mm-hmm. He is... He knows how to put on a show. He knows how to present... Uh, and I think that that is sort of melting away now. I think that that's who Drake was. And I think that now people are growing tired tired of him there was that article in the atlantic the headline is for drake the misogyny is the message the rapper's brand is now pointless profitable cruelty and Mm. it was really interesting because i think 2013 drake decent hardworking young man who yes but then behind closing elevator doors like what was happening yes look at philip seymour hoffman he there was an entitlement there that was already ripe it's just become clear that while he has been known for his, I don't know, I guess romantic spirit, you could call it, that there is an underlining disrespect of women and women as people, fully formed people. And I feel like that was really demonstrated in the Megan the Stallion controversy that happened where he basically made light and fun of her horrible experience with um, Tony Lanez. Lanz? Tory. Oh my god, we are not cutting that. That is the funniest thing you've said. <laughs> I don't know. My him. entire <laughs> Okay. I don't know the man. I Wait. hate him. Stop. Oh. <laughs> I go Tony. When you hear Stop. that, I can't you believe it's staying. To to it's staying. staying. It's staying. Please. When you hear that, please <laughs> just spam. And it's such it's about such a serious thing. And I there know. was such a big win recently where and he was found guilty and of shooting her. And he's a famous Torontonian. He's from Toronto. Well, and Drake really put him on. Yeah. Is the other thing. Tory Lanes. Well, fuck that guy because <laughs> he fucked with Megan the Stallion in a way that is unforgivable and so horrific. And she tweeted back to Drake, stop using my shooting for clout. Yeah. He's he's, he's lost the public favor. Yeah. This What's is- permissible at 26 is not permissible at 36. Yeah. And I think ex- exactly to your point, the facade started to kind of peel back a little bit. And that's why the last quote of this profile feels so incredibly poignant. And like, shout out Michael Pataniti, you god among men. You really <laughs> killed this. He ends the the profile with this quote from Drake. I'm trying to get back to that kid in the basement to say what he has to say. And I'm trying to make it last. How much longer is it going to last if we're like fatigued? We can't assume what his ambition is rooted in. But I think money comes up again and again. Yes. Even in his lyrics and in the Atlantic article, it reads, in his typical manner, he fixates on the power women hold over him sexually. 
and the power he can hold over them financially. Yeah. And Julia Fox came out recently and said that he was her best celebrity date because he took her on a private jet and then bought her a Chanel bag. Yeah, that sounds so it's, fine. It's, I mean, it sounds great, but it sounds, yeah, bang on with like the energy truly another yeah. drink song oh here uh, we are. but yeah no it does seem super super money oriented which i mean it's it's the tale of all this time it's when you grew up in the in the space of we can't afford that you become like a lot of people have shopping addictions now when they were told we can't have that this is kind of what it gives he is fixated on a number and the control that comes with it and yeah. the respect that comes with it I yes think. almost at the cost of artistic integrity because he does admit basically being a hit maker yes and thinking about it in a commercial sense he is not trying to do the thing where he is an artist first and foremost and saying that I had to go deep within myself and I created this persona this image these things came to me basically in a vision inspiration struck drake is saying that these things are viable on the radio and he knows that they'll play well in clubs i mean god this profile is so good it's really really good and the beauty of gq unlike other outlets is that it doesn't have to be music or fashion or gossip focused it's one writer breaking down every facet of an artist's life and repositioning it in a way that makes it understandable just across the board and engaging i don't know if he was a fan but this felt for and by a fan but it was also completely unbiased in a way that is just just really impressive it's what it's possibly my favorite one that we've read it gave him such a long leash like he just he let him go in this like you can tell it was a great interview and it's a great piece of writing and it's rare to get both you can try to yeah. pull out a, a good piece of writing out of a bad conversation or the other way around. You can be a great interviewer, but it doesn't translate as well on the page. This is just... Yeah, it's both. It is both. It is. So on a scale of one to Pulitzer. One to Pulitzer. Yeah, so it? I thought about it a lot. And you brought up a great point. You said that this is very stylistically close to my own work, which yes. like I, I agree. And I think that's why I like it so much. So I have to kind of take myself out of it and be like, it's probably at like a seven. Um, but I want to put it as like a 10. I just really enjoyed it, like thoroughly enjoyed it. And sometimes it's kind of hard to make male talent like that interesting. I don't know. I feel like women have so much more to offer in terms of insight sometimes. Yeah. This is just... It was just a page turn of a profile. Yeah, dynamic and interesting and unexpected at times. And the quotes were juicy. I would give it an eight. I'm, I'm you, going, oh, really? I, I give it an eight. Okay, then I'm giving it an eight. Okay. <laughs> Let's what, be the same. How do you feel about Drake in the context of reading this and in the aftermath? I think it's so interesting to see how the mighty fall. Oh, yeah. And I don't love the man. I did love his music especially through college, I feel like yeah. it came at a point in which I was going out for the very first time and I have a lot of like sensory memories and I love a lot of his songs, respect where he's from, the great city of Toronto, but I think that it's rotten at the core. I think that mm. he, the, the, the thing with Rihanna puts me off, the way he talks about women puts me off in a way that I know rap in general is not known for its deep respect in the way that it speaks to women. I think for me, the problem with, with Drake is not that he like sees women as second class citizens or degrades them. I think it's just women are so one dimensional to him. Yes. And I think he even diminished Rihanna to that, which is not, do you know what he, he is to me? Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about him? In the space of this profile and now 10 years later, he is an only child. Yeah. He is just an only <laughs> child. Yeah. It's someone who hasn't really had to think about someone other than himself. That's what it is. I think that Drake comes first. I mean, he loves his mom. That's very apparent. He paid for her spinal surgery. But like, it's all about Drake all the time and it's only become more so. And I think that is not necessarily like a healthy way to be. I would love to know if he's done any kind of self-work me too because i feel like drake in therapy could really go somewhere oh, powerful because he's clearly in touch with his emotions maybe it's... he's just got a little book yeah I know. maybe it's a little book <laughs> he's working it all out yeah. on his blackberry still <laughs> he's an interesting figure 
He's and he's become divisive. Kind of hilarious because he started out divisive. Little soft boys are rarely divisive. Like Sean Mendes is not divisive. No. And his whole thing is kind of like, you know, oh, the girls across the room. I do miss Girls Across the Room era Drake. Yeah. And he still had to fight for the mm-hmm. attention of women. That was a sexy Drake. Yeah. That was a much more self-aware Drake. That's what's missing. Self-awareness. Yes. 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 Lost to time. Lost mm-hmm. to time. And that's why he thinks it's okay to joke about Megan Thee Stallion's shooting. One of the unfollowing Taylor Swift because she beat him to number one with Antihero. Stop. From her album Midnights. Still that petty boy we saw with the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Petty. Yeah. And he's at the level where he doesn't have to care but he cares so much. Yeah. When you're that rich and you're that ubiquitous, why do you care? Yeah. It's so cool to just not care that much and just take it all as it comes. And he's not there yet. Mm-mm. But I mean, I'd love to know what you think. Comment or literally DM us your thoughts. If you get to read this, I think it's well, well worth it. And if you're a fan, it gives you a lot of context to who this man kind of is. And if you hate it, I think you still, it'll be interesting still. It is so interesting. Wow. What a journey that you took us on. That was a that was a pool party and a half. From a grotto to a club to another club. <laughs> <laughs> to Delilah and to back. To Delilah and back. See you next week when we've got another sexy, fun. Give me another adjective. Hot. Spicy. Spicy. Spicy's good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Insightful. Incisive. Mm-hmm brilliant another incredible profile it's gonna be even better than this yeah so see you soon see you soon i goes we love you <laughs> love you bye what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.